Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson back on deck after a bout of illness as our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy is subbed out this week. Maybe too much celebrating for the great man after Derby County's skin of the teeth survival. But first up after her amazing debut season for the Chelsea women's side Golden Boot Sam Kerr is on top of the world. Liam Toomey from The Athletic will join us to look back on the impact of Emma Hayes' side winning the Premiership and heading towards the Champions League final, as of course are the Chelsea men, who we will definitely find time to ask a question or two about, with no Super League on the men's side in sight. Uh, locally, the Brisbane Rule, after falling off the pace mid-season, have been creeping back up the ladder with a game in hand on their nearest rival, the Western Sydney Wanderers. They're looking dangerous as a wild card in the finals. We'll find out from Coach Warren Moon just what has turned their team's, his team's season around. And then we'll look at the rest of the A-League to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and all the latest on Socceroos and Matilda's action around the world. And then we thought it wouldn't be right to ignore the Foxes as they head into this this weekend's FA Cup final against the aforementioned Royal Blues. So we're going to have an athletic doubleheader with our mate Rob Tanner. That will be a fun chat and maybe look ahead to a few of the other stories in, in Europe, Manchester City and the Euros, etc. We'll cover all the rest of the European scene with Derek and wrap it up with stoppage time. But uh, Michael, it... Um is focused back on football. I'm glad we don't have a uh, bit of politics off the field to talk to this week. But, um, you know, we've got the FA Cup final, we've got the Champions League final, men's and women's, um, and the Euros to look forward to. A lot to look forward to over the next uh, four or five days, Rob. Yeah, looking forward to a big weekend of European Champions League football. Um, there's so much to look forward to for Samantha Kerr in Australia. But if you're a Chelsea fan, wow, what a, uh, what a finish to the season. But what a stumble. I mean, that, that, that whole... I want to ask uh, Liam the question. It could all come crumbling down if uh, if Yeah, you're the sort of the... Go you, you've them. got a bit of a doomsday sort of scenario you want to put to Liam, haven't you, Rob, mm. about Chelsea. It could all go wrong, but I just think their form's pretty good. Willem's got some news, though. I do, Michael. Great to be back for another week, guys. We'll start locally where the federal government has allocated $12 million to the high-performance objectives of our female national teams, a decision welcomed by Football Australia. The grant comes as part of the game's Legacy 23 plan, and we'll see the Matildas play eight additional games in the lead-up to the 2023 World Cup. The funding will be spread across two years, and we'll bolster resources for young Matildas and junior Matildas setups, which means, Michael, that we'll see uh, more young girls get exposed to the elite setup, which was part of the performance gap report from last year but I assume that's only part one of the funding the game hopes will come in because a big part of that legacy plan was of course for facilities and stadiums. It's a very welcome announcement uh, in the federal budget this 12 million dollars 6 million dollars a year to help really prepare the Matildas for the Women's World Cup in 2023 and underneath the Matildas. One of the glaring uh, aspects of um, elite uh, young women's development is that we have a very shallow depth 
uh, resource base of, uh, of talented players that can fill the breach uh, with the Matildas. We saw that with the recent matches in Europe um, when uh, when the, the squad was uh, was stretched because of, of COVID-related issues. So, yeah, it's a very welcome injection of funds and let's hope it's used wisely and we can uh, continue to develop the pipeline and come up with maybe two or three players that we don't know yet that might uh, figure prominently in the Matildas come 2023 at the uh, Women's World Cup. Staying with the women's game, questions have arisen over the payment of players that took part in last week's Matildas National Talent ID Camp in Sydney. PFA Co-Chief Executive Kate Gill stated a late agreement was reached to allow payment with players not initially given contracts, including insurance benefits. Football Australia has confirmed Nicoletta Flannery's knee injury will be covered, although this may not have been the case prior to the agreement. Lucy Zelich broke this one uh, for SBS The World Game, Michael. It looks to me like it was a bit of a disaster averted, but they certainly look to be flying pretty close to the sun, uh, Football Australia. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a major oversight uh, that they uh, invited the best of the W players to uh, into a talent ID camp when, you know, there was some of them are, are quite experienced Matildas. So it was effectively a Matildas selection and training camp. They tried to, in my view, probably um, dress it up as something else when that was not the case. Um, therefore, um, you have to ask the question, was Football Australia trying to avoid making payments to the players? I think it's a fair question to ask based on the oversight uh, that was uh, that was happened, and I, and I think in in the uh, in the landscape that we live in at the moment, and in particular with a focus on the Women's World Cup, it was a blunder of pretty big proportions. Albeit it was uh, rectified pretty quickly with the PFA stepping in to negotiate on behalf of the group to ensure that they were paid some sort of allowance. But um, I think there's some really uh, significant questions need to be asked and and uh, and James Johnson, I think, needs to answer those um, to see whether it was an oversight or whether they were trying to avoid paying these players. Chelsea have won the FA Women's Super League for the second season running with Sam Kerr's final tally of 21 goals, enough to win her the league golden boot. It was her sixth such award over the past five years following her exploit in Australia and the US, but of course, the all-important first in Europe for Sam. Chelsea's next huge fish to fry is the Champions League final against Barcelona on Monday morning, while they also remain alive in the FA Cup. Rob, Sam's been in the mix over the past couple of years for the Ballon d'Or, but seem, seems to have been uh, sort of ignored it at the final hurdle because she's not playing in Europe. That, of course, is no longer the case, and she'd have to be considered if the box in the box seat if they win the Champions League final, surely. Oh, yeah, well, you know, as you say, golden boot. Um, they've won the, the title. Uh, she had a slow start, which we'll talk to Liam Toomey to her career in England, but uh, she's uh, hit her stride and, uh, and performing uh, even better than anybody uh, could have uh, expected given the, uh, uh, the the fact that she has been playing amongst the world's best. Uh, I guess uh, to say that she's performed better than anyone expected is probably not the way to describe it because we do expect her to perform at the, at the very elite level. But So Ballon d'Or is, uh, is definitely a chance. Fantastic achievement by um, Sam. Uh, 21 goals uh, in the England WSL this season. Only the second player to uh, break the 20-goal barrier in that competition. Six golden boots in five years across leagues in Australia, United States and England. All that remains for Samantha Kerr is to lead the Matildas to Asian Cup and FIFA Women's World Cup glory. And uh, and we know uh, that'll be uh, weighing heavily on her mind as she... Uh, focuses like a 
zero on uh, the Olympic Games that's coming up. But that point that you made about performing in the green and gold, that's that's the next big step that up. Is because the, she, she has she, performed she, in the green and gold, but it's the big yeah, games. Yeah, that that, that's the point I'm making. I mean, because, you know, I, I don't want to go over old ground to, to France because there were, you know, so many uh, after effects of, of that tournament. But um, but Sam wasn't at her best in that tournament, so we need her at her very best if we're going to uh, win the silverware uh, at the Olympics. And, of course, you can watch Sam Kerr live, free in an HD at 0430. Uh, hours on Monday morning Australian Eastern Standard Time when Sam Kerr leads Chelsea in the UEFA Women's Champions League final. And on to the Men's Champions League final. That looks set to be moved from Istanbul to Porto after Turkey was placed on the UK's red travel list. Of course, both sides coming from the UK. A move to Wembley is still possible, although it looks unlikely with UEFA yet to reach an agreement with the UK government. Given Lisbon hosted last year's final, UEFA looks set to hand it to Porto's Estadio de Drago with Istanbul's hosting rights pushed back another year. So Rob, looks like some common sense is being enacted here, but spare a thought for poor old Istanbul. They were meant to host it last year, and now they're going to miss out this year again. Yeah, but they'll get looked after in the end. The thing that surprises me most, to be perfectly honest, is the fact that, uh, you know, that the VIP status and the... And, um, the uh elevated expectation of administrators uh, is part of all this discussion and uh, I think England uh, um, as a country are, are making the right decision because if they just caved into what UEFA wanted, they'd be letting everybody involved at, at uh, UEFA who, who, who wants to come, who, who needs to come in as a, as a, um, a, a, a member of not only the uh, administrative side but uh, uh, but fans as well to not have to quarantine is the point and uh, and so yeah I, I think um, it's uh not a not showing UEFA in 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 the kind of light that we'd expect as a as a leading world uh, voice post covid and Rob, you mentioned off the top that there was more of an on-field focus this week, but of mm. course, there's always politics in the world game. Mm. UEFA has appointed disciplinary inspectors to investigate whether the attempts of Real Madrid, mm. Barcelona and Juventus to join the European Super League violated UEFA's legal framework. The trio face two-year Champions League bans unless they formally withdraw. Earlier in the week, the nine withdrawn clubs signed the club commitment declaration and will donate €15 million Euros each to children and grassroots pursuits. Small change, you would think there. They'll also face 86 million euro fines if they attempt to join a rival league in the future. But, yeah, for the dirty three remaining, they are slowly, I think, getting strong-armed into submission. But, geez, they're putting up a decent fight. Yeah, well, they are. And um, and the president of UEFA, Alexander Seferin, who's been a great spokesperson for the, you know, the defensive side of, of this whole thing, defending the, uh, you know, the status quo, uh, uh, is, is still, as you say, um, going hard. And the range of possible punishments, if they if they still hold out, extends not just from fines and withholding revenues from the withdrawal of a title. Uh, one option would be to ban them from European competition, but that would be similar to the two-year exclusion that uh, that City uh, were uh, were uh, punished with after their breach of the financial fair play regulations and as we all know they got it overturned on appeal so in the court of arbitration for sport so uh, what is any punishment worth if uh, the CAS are just going to flip it? Correct and what about Juventus not only have they got this hanging over their head they've uh, they've actually might miss out on Champions League for normal reasons mm. they might not finish in the top four there's three games to go they're uh, in fifth spot on the table they uh, lost at home to Milan 3-0 last weekend who, who knows what's going to happen to the old lady but oh. they won on the weekend and Gianluigi Buffon our favourite goalkeeper with the best name he's in quit, football he? 43 years old second time. he has quit but he saved a penalty and, and just kept their hopes alive and uh, and if they don't make it I don't think there's much chance of uh, one C Ronaldo uh, sticking around alright well, well done uh, you've got some more news uh, in the next hour keep that uh, up 
your sleeve. After the break, though, we're going to talk to Liam Toomey from The Athletic. It's a double athletic show this week with Rob Tanner in the second hour, but we're going to talk to Liam about the Chelsea women, Sam Kerr, and, of course, uh, what Thomas Tuchel's been doing. Uh, they had a bit of a wobble over the last 24 hours, but they've got the FA Cup final against the Foxes and the Champions League coming up as well. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, football lovers Australia-wide have been really loving Sam Kerr and her efforts with the Chelsea women's side. They've won the Women's Super League. They're about to play in the Champions League final, and uh, this is all before the Olympics and a World Cup a couple of years away. We're also uh, very keen on hearing a little more about the the men's side uh, as we chat to our next guest. We welcome back Liam Toomey from The Athletic. How are you, Liam? I'm good, yeah. It's a pleasure to be back. And um, just before... A big end to the season for Chelsea. Absolutely it is, and there's plenty to talk about the men's side. And I, I know it's a typical Aussies, mate. We're down under, so we'll flip the uh, script a little bit and talk about the women first. But I think we've got uh, good reason with Sam Kerr. Uh, so she, you know, we talked to you last time. She she started off a, a little slow when she first arrived. And, you know, uh, the question marks were there. Uh, you know, is she all that she's wrapped up to be? Uh, but uh, it wasn't long before she uh, slipped into her groove and became, you know, a critical part of Emma Hayes' side. And, uh, and uh, we've seen the results yeah definitely um it's a real case of form is temporary class is permanent isn't it Um, correct i think chelsea were always going to be patient with with someone like sam kerr someone that they'd put so much um investment relative to the women's game in um and uh and i think she's she's really come to come to life in the last in the last few months in particular, um, with Fran Kirby next to her. Um, That partnership, they work so, so well together with Kirby dropping deep and and, and Kerr kind of playing off the shoulder of the last defender and making those sort of Timo Werner style runs um, into the channels and in behind defences. She's got such good movement, such good instincts. Even when she was not scoring too regularly for for Chelsea, she was always getting into the positions. and now some of her combinations with Kirby um, have been absolutely scintillating and they've propelled Chelsea to the brink of this historic quadruple. Um, and I, I saw Kerr do an interview um, this week where she said, you know, it was tough. I had to move my entire life across the world. There was things going on off the pitch that people don't necessarily know about. And I think sometimes we do forget that, you know, that the... The, the, these are humans first of all and, and they're dealing with human problems before they're dealing with footballer problems um, and there can be many many reasons why a footballer isn't performing to their absolute potential but the key thing for Chelsea and I'm sure for, for Australia ahead of the Olympics is that she's performing at her absolute best now and that's um, it's great to watch. She's only the second player behind Arsenal's uh, Vivian Miedemar to score, break the 20 goal barrier in the Women's Super League uh, Liam, can you tell us about um, just the response her success has had within the Chelsea football community, and um, is she getting the recognition for um, for that uh, that that uh, that success in particular because she did have a slow start? I think she is now. Yeah, I think there were a few raised eyebrows when she was missing quite a lot of chances in games. Um, I mean, this is all relative to the fact that I think that the Chelsea women's team are still gaining in terms of their following within the broad Chelsea supporter base. Um, 
and everything they've done this season, I think, has taken them another big, big step forward. And given that Kerr has been such a big part of that, um, I think she's she's gained a new level of um, awareness in the in the broader Chelsea consciousness. Um, but people are just really enjoying watching her now, and um, they're they're appreciating the, the speed, the movement, the finishing, um, the general well-roundedness of her game. Um, and I just think uh, she's she's now proved to be a very shrewd investment for Chelsea, and I think she's going to help grow the, the the Chelsea women brand all over the world. Um, but more importantly, she's going to help them win the very biggest trophies, which is which is absolutely at the heart of everything that Emma Hayes has built there. And obviously, Chelsea's never won the European Champions League in the women's competition, so this would be a a new uh, a new frontier to conquer. Um, just where does women's football sit within the Chelsea ecosystem and how has the club gone about celebrating the achievement of making the uh, European Women's Champions League final? You know, Chelsea have made a real effort in the, in the last few years not only to invest in their women's team and put them in the best possible position to dominate domestic and European football, um, but also to celebrate them when they do achieve things as they have been pretty consistently under Emma Hayes um, and uh, just this morning in fact in the UK um, Chelsea have launched their brand new home strip um, which they will debut in the FA Cup final this weekend and in the Women's Champions League final um, and that was like a snazzy two minute long kind of music video um, it fe- featuring as many of the Chelsea women's stars as the Chelsea men's. And I think Chelsea have made every effort in terms of their strategy to try and put the women on an equal footing um, in terms of what they're doing commercially. And, um, and I, think, I think that's really helped. I think they've, they've, they've organically um, grown a supporter base, you know, a match-going supporter base over the years. But they, I think they're growing a, a bigger supporter base online now. Um, within the Chelsea community, and there's a there's a bigger there's a bigger awareness of what they're doing, and a bigger pride in what they're doing outside as well as inside the club, and um, and that that's fundamentally a credit to to what Emma Hayes and her players are doing week in and week out. The fact that they they keep winning, I think, makes it even easier to like them. Um, but it's it's also a credit to Chelsea as a whole for their investment. And hopefully Sam can get the job done when she puts the green and gold back on for Australia, mate. That's the next big task for her. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Liam Toomey, first of all, about the Chelsea women's side with Sam Kerr taking all before them. Now uh, the men, they have had a big 24 hours and, uh, and another big couple of weeks ahead. Um, Derek, uh, you uh, sat back with interest, as I know, edged it as uh, Arsenal continued the hoodoo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to the men, Liam, and just like the women, they're fighting on a number of different fronts at the moment and probably halfway through the season with Frank Lampard in charge, I think Chelsea fans would never have expected a Champions League final, an FA Cup and, and, and close run thing with the um, with the qualifications with Europe. Just summarise to us just how well Thomas Tuchel has done and what is he doing differently? Yeah, it's been a remarkable turnaround. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think you can call it, you know, like a miracle because Chelsea have too much money, too many resources, too good a squad for that to be the case. But he has certainly um, absolutely maximised this group of players pretty much from the moment he came in um, and completely changed the identity of this team on the pitch tactically. That's probably been his biggest achievement 
Um, he's turned what were the biggest weaknesses under Frank Lampard, the, the defensive structure, Chelsea being too easy to counter-attack, not, not pressing well enough. Those three things are now their biggest strengths under Tuchel consistently. They're, they're arguably the best defensive team in Europe since he came in. Um, and that's that's incredible when you consider how little training time he's had in between games. They've had so many games, so many games that they haven't been willing to, you know, just let go because they've been they've been competing on three fronts all the way through. And to get them to two major finals, including a first Champions League final appearance since 2012, and get them back into what remains you know, a pretty commanding position in the top four race, even after a disappointing result against Arsenal. Um, I think Tuchel deserves a hell of a lot of credit for it. It's, it's probably been the best coaching achievement seen at Chelsea since Conte won the league. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it gives him a real platform to build on, regardless of how this season ends now. Two players that have been emblematic of that change have been the two... German uh, main German players in the squad, uh, Werner and Havertz, for different reasons. Havertz has really come alive in the second half of the season, and Werner, who was much maligned uh, early on, as as really contributing not just necessarily with some goals, but obviously the all round play. Um, what has it been like? Do you think you know what are the difference has been for those two players in particular, and and what Tuchel has done? Yes, I think. In the case of Werner, um, Tuchel's shift of system has allowed him to deploy Werner in something a lot closer to the position he was used in for RB Leipzig, where he's kind of not quite on the left wing, but not quite up front. He's, he's operating in that sort of inside left channel, um, where he can drop a little, start a little bit deeper, but then run off the shoulder of defenders and really stretch opposing defences. And that has helped Werner. It hasn't necessarily helped his finishing. Uh, which has continued to be really, really spotty for Chelsea, um, for, exasperatingly so at times for many supporters. But Chelsea struggle to win without him, without the 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 space he creates for others with the pressure he puts on defences. Um, and he's been a key part of all their big performances. And then when you look at Havertz... Um, his performances have probably been a little bit more up and down, but there has been definitely a general improvement in him under Tuchel. And I think, again, that is because he has a slightly more clearly defined role in a slightly more clearly defined tactical structure. Um, and when he plays at the head of that front three, he can do a lot of the things you'd expect of a false nine, dropping deep, linking play with Chelsea's midfielders. Um, but he can also do the things that a true nine would do. He can he can run in behind. He can um, be a presence in the air because he's unusually tall for you know a player of his type. And he's a usually uh, quite a good finisher. Although Arsenal was not a good night for him on that front. Um, so they I think there there've been grounds for optimism on both of them. Certainly grounds to believe that both of them can be significantly better next season. Um, but the most promising thing for Chelsea fans right now is that they're. They're already contributing to um, a successful Chelsea team. And Liam, before we let you go, um, I've got to ask you this question. Are there any tremors after the Arsenal result? Uh, whilst it's all looking beautiful under Thomas Tuchel, we all acknowledge what a, an amazing job he's done. But there is still that uh, now, with that loss, the chance that if Chelsea lose the FA Cup final and the Champions League, they could finish fifth with Liverpool um, should they win the three games they've got remaining, 
and not qualify for Champions League. Uh, how much of the good work would be undone? I think that's probably stating the bleeding obvious, but uh, if that scenario, which is entirely possible, played out. Yeah, it would be a desperately disappointing end to the season um, and it would undercut a lot of the, the progress that Tuchel has made. There's no doubt about that. Um, I'm sure he. I'm sure he would be the first one to be um, incredibly disappointed if that were to to happen. But I think um, I think there was a sense after the game, not necessarily from anything that that people said, but um, that the Arsenal game could be actually quite a well timed wake up call for this Chelsea group um, because they did lose intensity, they did allow themselves to get kind of basically outworked by Arsenal um, as much as anything. And it's not the first time that's happened against Arsenal in recent years. Um, and Tuchel afterwards admitted that he'd made too many changes and that maybe his changes had sent a message to his players that he had one eye on Saturday on the FA Cup final. So I think now minds will definitely be focused. They know that they have um, much less margin for error in the Premier League, but that's the situation they've been operating in since Tuchel came in. They've been playing catch-up. So they're still mm-hmm. in a better position than, than they were at the start. And they have two finals. You don't need motivation for finals. Um, so I, I think, you know, my money would be would still be on Chelsea getting top four and probably winning one of those finals, more likely the FA Cup, because Man City will go into the Champions League as as as, un, as favourites, justifiably. But it it's all there for Chelsea. And um, while the most disappointing um, possible outcome is 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 possible. Um, there's also a lot of glory and success that's possible. And I think that's the way Chelsea will choose to look at it. Yeah, it sort of feels like that's actually going to happen after the trajectory since Tuchel's arrived. Uh, it uh, would be a real shock to everybody who follows football if uh, the worst-case scenario played out. Hey, Liam, thanks for joining us. Um, we are really grateful for your time. And uh, before we do let you go, to repeat myself for one final time, uh, good luck with the little baby that's on the way. I know we uh, we were talking about uh, getting you on last week and you had off for a baby scare, mate. So good luck to you and your your family here uh, with the little arrival coming real soon. Thank you. Yeah, new signing for the new season. <laughs> um, Absolutely, yeah, it's going to be ev- eventful, but a lot of fun. Good on you, Liam. Well done. Liam Toomey from The Athletic joining us with uh, his thoughts on the Chelsea men and the women, of course, with Sam Kerr. All right, stick around on Box to Box. Uh, We are going to pivot back to uh, the local competition with uh, Brisbane Raw. You know, they're a a dark horse for uh, a uh, a spot in the finals. Uh, They uh, are already there, but uh, yeah, let's uh, stick around for that next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most. Yes, this is Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. You're on Box to Box. Now Brisbane Raw, they uh, they started well this A League season, but then had a real speed wobble for a while there. But uh, they've got their mojo back, and as we come to the conclusion of the season, they look like one of the strongest sides in the competition. To join us is the coach Warren Moon. How are you, Warren? Yeah, good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, pretty good, mate. Oh, I mean, is that a fair assessment? Uh, um, and if it is, you know, what what did you do and how would you assess the turnaround in form to, to get you peaking at the right end of the season? I mean, it's obviously, it's a, it's a summary of the season. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a fair assessment. I um, I don't think we changed too much from when we were winning and then obviously went on that winless run. Uh, you know, our process and our... Um, 
I guess, messages that we were sending out were still consistent and uh, constant with the players. And uh, and our performance levels weren't too far away from what we had been doing when we were going well. So, um, yeah, I take your point. And obviously, that's how it turned out. And I think uh, one of the key things is when, you, when you're playing in games and winning games, you look back at the chances you create and the ones you take compared to the ones you don't when you, when you perhaps don't win the game. So, um, the game is about, obviously, taking chances and um, consistently... Us as a group, we create a certain amount of chances in most games. Uh, and when we do that, we expect it won't be in games and two try and win games. Warren, um, the COVID era has provided opportunities for young players uh, in Australia. It's also provided opportunities for local coaches, and you're, um, you're one of those. Uh, I'd just like to get your reflections on stepping up to the A-League level and the value in doing an apprenticeship in the local leagues like you have. Um, you're very well known in Queensland, having uh, undertaken a lot of NPL tasks. But tell us, what's it been like stepping up and um, in particular, you know, moving into a full-time environment and and getting yourself organised? Uh, what's it been like? Look, it's been a, it's been a challenge. It's been, um, you know, a, an exciting challenge. But, um, you know, I, I say this to, to everyone, coaching coaching. Um, you still make the same decisions. You still look for the same things in games. The only difference is, is the quality of play that you're dealing with um, on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, but, but in regards to the coaching itself, nothing changes too much and you approach things pretty much the same way. Having coached successfully in Queensland as you've done, how important is it to you that young local talent gets an opportunity at A-League level? And have you made a deliberate attempt to sort of strengthen the tie between the Raw as the, as the one uh, sort of state club in Queensland and Queensland football in general? I suppose the example that gets rolled out a little bit is Adelaide United and how often they promote South Australian talent. Is that a deliberate decision that you've taken to, to sort of replicate that? 100%. It's, uh, it's very deliberate on my part. Um, rightly or wrongly, that's what I believe in. And, uh, you know, I, and I've copped a lot of, um, I wouldn't say criticism, but, uh, but I had, uh, some doubters around some players that we brought in, in terms of the, 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 the early part of the season about players that are they good enough? Are they not? And, uh, and I think as well, there's definitely a clear line in this country and it depends on what side of the fence you sit on, whether you're a believer in the NPL player stepping up or you're not. And, uh, but, but I'm definitely one that does believe in, in NPL and local talent and, and, but I'm also really passionate about Queensland talent. You've got 10 matches in 35 days thereabouts uh, through to the end of the competition. Uh, your skipper's gone down. I think he's got a hamstring, Jack Hingott. Um, tell us about uh, just how you're going with managing the squad and the workload and whether you might need to uh, recruit any, any players to cover. Yeah, 10 and 35 is pretty grueling. I think that's why they couldn't fit any more in the time frame, so they thought they'd just give us the 10. But... Um, Look, it's uh, it's difficult. I have to say, it's uh, unprecedented that uh, that this type of schedule is faced in, in a normal league, normal circumstances. But we accept and we understand that these aren't normal times. So we have to be as adaptive and flexible as we can. So uh, yes, there's uh, there's been collateral damage on the way, and, and I'm sure there'll be more. But uh, but that's a challenge for us to try and uh, still be competitive and try and um, get results. So look, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but uh, but we're trying and. Look, we've brought in a couple, and and we've brought in um, we've brought in Anton Gilroy on on a short term injury replacement for uh, for um, Jack Ingot. Uh, so he's coming from the local NPL, but a player that's played overseas at Seattle Sanders is uh, with John Hutchinson. So we knew a bit about him. Um, 
and, and we'll just look to our academy as well. Cyrus Demi for the promotion uh, came came to the squad uh, last night, and uh, and we'll, we'll look to our academy if we need to bring more in. Um, if needed. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Brisbane Raw coach Warren Moon. They're just inside the top six and uh, in good form. They've had a draw against the Central Coast Mariners. They've got Adelaide United this Sunday. Uh, Brisbane uh, moved from Suncorp Stadium to Redcliffe, Warren, and uh, and looking at uh, you know the schedule for Suncorp this weekend, coming off the back of the Rugby Grand Final, they've got this, the NRL Super uh, Magic uh, Round uh, it, it looks like it's been a good decision to, to play in a boutique stadium. A lot of the fans weren't happy that that uh, that live closer to Suncorp, but uh, but it seems like like it's been a good decision to to move to that more purpose built football um, arena. Look, I think so. That's, that's my own personal belief. I think it's been a good move. I, I like the stadium. I think it's a great stadium for football. Um, I think the last three games haven't helped in in terms of uh, the perception in the public because obviously the rain has heavily affected the pitch, but. But when we're talking about the last three matches, the type of rainfall we've had here in Queensland has been, uh, you know, above the average of the norm. It's been of biblical proportions in some occasions. We've had uh, a, a smashing. So most pitches will be affected by the rain that we've had up here. But, but if you look at the stadium itself, it's a wonderful atmosphere and a great place to play football. Certainly is. Um, I want to ask about Dylan Wenzel Hall. He's um, well and truly um, arrived this season and he has the unique... Uh, ability to score goals when you think he's not going to score goals. He, he, he often makes uh, opportunities out of nothing. I mean, what is the what is the uh, the, the limit on on Dylan and, and how far can he go? And just you having worked with him so closely, what can you tell us about um, how good he is? Well, look, to answer that question, I'd probably say he's still not finished. He's definitely a massive work in progress. So... Um, you know, Dylan's shown what he can do and benefits from game time. And, uh, you know, obviously he's had a lot of game time this season and he's shown that he's uh, a player that can play at this level. Um, but there's still more for him to give. He's still got more to improve on. He's still got more uh, that he can show us. And, um, you know, I, I think for Dylan, the future's bright. You know, he's got something that most people don't have and it's, uh, it's an unwavering hunger and desire to succeed. Um, and I think that carries you a long way in the game. And along with uh, Dylan Warren, you've entrusted uh, Riku Danzaki to score the bulk of your goals, and those two, the two of them have uh, yet to let you down. They've scored seven apiece. In terms of A-League recruitment, not many 20-year-old uh, Japanese untried players rock up on our shores. So what was the recruitment process like in, in unearthing Riku? He's sort of uh, come along as a bit of a, a bit of an unearthed gem at this point, and, and how far do you think he can go in his career? Yeah, look, I, I get asked about the Riku one a lot. It's uh, many hours and nights on my computer, uh, you know, searching... Asia for a type of player, and in particular Japan. I like the, the, the profile of Japanese player that I thought would fit, one, how we wanted to play, but also the Australian style of what we're playing. So um, he was uh, one that I found and uh, liked his profile, and um, I got lucky in a way because the club he was at, uh, a friend of mine and a, a former uh, club legend in Jade North played here, so we were able to get a connection there, which was great to speak to the player. And, um, now we've been able to bring him to Brisbane Law. So he's he's just a player that's got a, a, a bundle of talent and uh, similar to Dylan, he, he's obviously not done yet in terms of where, where he can go in the game. Um, so 
really, really pleased to have them both. And I think they've uh, they've certainly shown that they've been uh, good value to here in the A-League. Hey, Warren, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Just a handful of games to go in the regular season. Uh, uh, the good judges think that you're on the trajectory to make the finals and do some damage when you get there. Uh, well done on uh, the season so far and, and good luck uh, at the pointy end of the season, mate. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Warren Moon, coach of the Brisbane Roar, the very dangerous Brisbane Roar. Right, stick around after the break. We're going to continue the conversation on the A-League, wrap up the round just gone and the games coming up this weekend. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the yes, most this is Box to Box. It's been a busy first hour of the show. Liam Toomey, Warren Moon. We're going to talk more A-League now on the show. Before we do, though, Storage King. They are the kings of storage moving and more. You know that. You've been listening for years to this show and hearing all the great things about our friends at Storage King. Is your home running out of space? Are you decluttering? Everyone's decluttering these days, making some more uh, home office space for home or work. Not everyone's going back to the office all the time. You've got to work from home. Just get it sorted. Uh, make the space work for you. Get to Storage King. Store all of your gear that you need to get uh, from time to time down at Storage King if you're creating that home office. They have the answer. Stores everywhere. A location just around the corner. Go to Storage King. To find your nearest store. There was a good chat with Rob Warren Moon, and we're going to talk to Rob Tanner in the next hour. But Warren Moon, uh, he just has that air of quiet confidence and organisation around him. Very, very uh, clean answers. We got through a lot with him. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just get a sense that he's a, a man who knows uh, uh, what he's talking about with a, a career in football. Yeah, I think he's got good reason to be confident, Rob, despite the fact that he's in his first year at the club. He's got a lot of players that he knows because he's worked uh, around the traps in Queensland and he's brought a lot of those guys in and he's entrusting them and they are serving him well thus far. The first item on the A-League agenda this week, though, guys, is that Rudan's Kentiki Tour has been derailed. Western United have played their six games in six separate states. Mark Rudan called it a Kentiki Tour, Michael, but like many on a Kentiki Tour, they've ended it disgraced and in disarray. They've finished their run... Well, they memories lost. of your own no, you're sharing I, with us there, Will? I haven't been on a, a Kentucky tour, Rob. Uh, they lost to the Wanderers 5-0 in what I called a six-pointer last week, and then they followed it up with a really flat performance against Perth, uh, a 3-0 loss there. They're just three points out of the six, and I've given up trying to predict this A-League season, and we're going to talk about the Wanderers later. I just I can't get a read on either of these sides. There is still plenty of time, but, Michael, what's happened to Western United? Well, like any good rooster... Um, like any good rooster on a Kentucky tour, they run out of steam towards the end, don't they? Because they strut their stuff in the first sort of uh, five or six days of the tour. They they burn the candle at both ends. And what has gone on with the last two games? The Wanderers destroyed them, and then so did Perth. It could have been more than three. Did anybody on the show suggest that the Wanderers still had a little bit of petrol left in the tank last week? Well, don't jump ahead in the run down there, Rob. I want yeah, to ask just, you before we get hold there, because on, I'm going to give you a chance horses. to give us a whack, and you we're going to cop it as we deserve. Pump the chest out and, and bristle those eyebrows as much as you like, but you just hold on to Will. Willem's rundown. Thank you, Rob. Okay. Now, uh, Western United, there's got to be serious questions over. Is something wrong down there? Because they have the talent to be better than that. And uh, they, uh, well, based on their last two matches, they're going to miss the finals. They are going to miss the finals based on their last two. Look, Mark Rudin's been there for a year and a bit now, the, the entire project. They've played pretty much the same formation. It's a lot of the similar sort of characters. You just wonder if maybe, maybe the message has started to go a little bit flat or if they have just been genuinely stretched by that run of six matches in six days. Okay, Rob, moving on. The Wanderers. Are they back Come again? On. Michael and I wrote them off Bru- last week. those eyebrows. Come James on. Troisi turned on his mm-hmm. best form mm-hmm. of the year as about, they beat Western time. United 5-0. About time. Somehow, they're just a win from second place. 
They've had two really good wins, but they've got to back it up now against Perth in Perth on Saturday night. After two great wins, I think they're due for a stinker, but the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, <laughs> well, I don't think they stinker. are because I've been behind them the entire season and Carl uh, uh, Robinson came... You didn't like them until your brother went to work for him. Mate, I grew up in the shadows of that stadium. I used to carry used that to ring your drill brother board around. Pat, every time they later lost, you'd ring your brother, over. Pat, who's a, a member and I sits in the grandstands, that. watches the weekend all the time. Come on, he's we just, know what you're like. Yeah, he's just making stuff up now. Um, you, everybody, well, the good news is the people who listen to the show will know you're just talking about They, they know I make stuff um, up. So, yeah, <laughs> so uh, no, but Carl Robinson, uh, I just think he, he, um, he, he's he got that aura about him. Uh, he's got that track record as a manager and um, and he's been doing things his own way. So I was just saying, uh, Troisi, uh, Bernie Abini, uh, Bruce Kamau, uh, the, uh, the the names just roll off the tongue. These are uh, uh, A-League royalty, these sorts of names. Um, they've been around a, a lot of the clubs, but every time they turn up at a club, they get the job done. That's why they keep getting the gigs, these guys. So I think the Wanderers, uh, that's a, a grumble in the background from Willem. Anyway, look, so far I'm correct. As I am with the Central Coast Mariners because we're, we're seeing them do well. I mean, that result against Brisbane Roar, even he's, though it was he's only... He's jumped ahead in the run down again. He's just totally... Okay, stop in front of you. I think they're very three very inconsistent names that you've just named, Robin. Therein lies a problem. They're they're good enough players at A League standard, but the inconsistency the right is the issue, particularly with the Beanie and Troisi. Look, we're players we're a long way down the track with this project from the Wanderers, and we still don't know which one of them is going to show up on a particular mm. week. Moving on to a more serious one, the Jets' ownership status this week raised a few questions. A bit of an unsavoury situation popped up, Michael, and it has been coming. Stephen Ugarkovic has been locked in to go to the Wanderers for next season. For the entirety of this season from Newcastle, uh, they've given him an early leave pass, and he's going to join them ahead of the finals. Jordan O'Doherty's gone the other way. It is a bit of a conflict of interest that's popped up, given that the Wanderers own a key stake in the Jets at this point, alongside Sydney FC, Western United and Wellington. Paul Lederer, he's the chairman of the Wanderers, and he's told the Sydney Morning Herald that he stayed right out of it. A few of the other clubs are apparently pretty unhappy. I'm happy at this point to give this a bit of a slack, uh, cut it a bit of slack, because the alternative is that there's no Newcastle Jets. I think the, the clubs need to be praised for, for putting their money on the line and keeping the Jets afloat, but it's a situation that can't go on for too long, because it is a genuine conflict of interest. Yeah, and I think they need to be clear about what are, what is the transfer rules under this new competition and what, what are the windows and what's legit because, you know, we're just right ahead of the finals and there's been a couple of transfers to Wanderers that have mm. raised your eyebrows. That one and Scott McDonald. Yeah, and just a couple of other points to uh, to clear up there. Simon Cox has left Western Sydney when so many come in. At some point, someone's got to go out. He's going to go home and be with his partner and meet his newborn child, who he hasn't met yet, born in February. So well done to Simon for sticking it out, trying to tough it out, uh, a decision that we can all sympathise with, but he has departed. And Richie Garcia has uh, also revealed that Neil Kilkenny is going to depart Perth. Uh, he's been such a such a critical part and such a fiery part of the glory lineup for the past couple of seasons. But we know once he sort of falls out with clubs, things generally don't get to uh, don't get patched up. So he's missed their past couple of games and now yeah he's going to be on his way out uh, at the end of the season just a final point to finish on Michael it's been the tightest season ever in the A-League and I've done a bit of thinking as to why that is and I think it's because of the large off-season churn that we had from uh, from coaches. You look at Moon, Viet, Milicic, Robinson and Garcia. They're all in the first year of their their respective uh, projects, to use that word again. Paddy Kiz Norbo, he's in the first, but I'd put him in that list as well because he, he spent so much of last year with uh, with Eric Monbert. Talley, Rudan and Stajic, they're all in their
their second years as well. And you look at that salary cap reduction in the off-season. Uh, I think they're the reasons why we've got such a tight and, and tense run into the finals. And I also think it's great that we still, of course, have the finals because if we didn't, City would have it all wrapped up and they'd be struggling to gain interest in the league. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And look, I'm just in love with uh, the Australian coaches getting an opportunity and the young Australian mm. players getting to showcase their their skills. That That is the legacy of the COVID era in the A-League. Um, um, obviously, the reduced salary cap for this season means that young players have got an opportunity and it's great to see. I'm enjoying watching the games. I think fo- the football's been been very entertaining and uh, and I'm looking forward to the finals and um, probably no Western United and um, what about the Mariners, Rob? Your team. Well, I think they're going to make it, absolutely. I think that uh, point against the rule guaranteed it. So, uh, no, I know you've been death riding them from uh, the get-go. Um, you'd, you'd have them out of the competition but uh, no, they're going to make the finals. No, they no. might even make the grand final and uh, when you're in the I grand the final... Mariners. Please. Okay, Michael, thank you. Me and Ray um, Gat, we're the best supporters they've got. Yeah, Gatty, don't listen to a word he says. We mates you. Do they play this week? Go back to the brothers, mate, down at uh, at Fairfield Pats. We are uh, thick <laughs> as thieves, the old Fairfield Pats boys, and we always stick together. They've got it's the F3 you, derby. No, seriously, it's the, it's it's the F3 Coast, derby this week. Central Coast Mariners or Western Sydney Wanderers? Who's your team? Seriously. Uh, Late on the line. Mate, I am a professional broadcaster in this environment. I would dare. It's fair to say that he likes both teams, doesn't no, it? No, well, well, I, I know. He grew I'm, up in I'm, the shadows of both grounds, I think. Right. I, I thought, yeah, and you haven't even called me a hypocrite yet because it's clear that I follow Liverpool. No, I, I like both teams. I'm not passionate um, one way or the other about either. They, um, I have got an affection for both. That's what I would say. Okay, fair All enough. Right. Gentlemen, let's wrap it up. We've yeah. got a big hour coming up next. We've <laughs> we got have Rob got a Tanner. huge hour. We've yeah. got more Europe with Derek, and we're going to talk. Um, some other stuff in stoppage time. Darby yeah. and Dean. I and you've got to lay the boot into him, as you're prone to do, and when he's not here. <laughs> All right, boys. See you in the next hour, boys. After the break, after the news, Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving Absolutely Welcome back to Box to Box. We've got a busy second hour coming up. Second edition news with Willem shortly and all the latest on soccer is Matilda Central. Rob Tanner, our mate from The Athletic. The Foxes are playing the FA Cup final. They're heading for top four. It's very excited, Rob. We will talk to and more on Europe with uh, our friend Derek, who is back off his sickbed. And uh, stoppage time. Um, Ed just got a couple of um, topics he wants to raise, which is keeping up his sleeve. He's not telling anybody just yet. So you'll find out when we do. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to start the second hour. Rob, make sure you're on the Green and Gold Army's mailing list to be among the first to know about future overseas tours to support the Socceroos and Matildas. If you haven't done so already, sign up at ggatravel.com.au. We've spoken about Sam Kerr and Chelsea at length. The other most notable Aussie performance on the final day of the Women's Super League came at West Ham, where Mackenzie Arnold saved two penalties against Manchester City. Arsenal's season ended with a nil-all draw with Aston Villa, which meant another clean sheet for Lydia Williams, while Steph Catley got more minutes under her belt. She played the second half. Hayley Rasso's season with Everton continues. They'll play Chelsea in the last 16 of the FA Cup next week, while in France, Ellie Carpenter and Lyon are a point behind PSG with three to play. To the gents, Aiden Rustic opened his Bundesliga account with an extraordinary goal for Eintracht Frankfurt. Did you see this one, Michael? He swung a leg at a ball while on the ground from near the 18-yard box. Plenty of bodies between he and the goal. Quite a remarkable score. Uh, remarkable strike. Yes, um, some people um, might say it was a bit of a fluke. <laughs> no, was, come on. But it was, no, you, you take that uh, for your highlights, real Rob. 
I'll take it for any time, that's real. We've got some bad news to our report, guys, in the lead-up to the Socceroos World Cup qualifiers. <laughs> Callum Elder has won League One with Hull, and he was named in the league team for the season. But in their final match, which was a bit of a celebration for the club, he was the victim of a, a really crude tackle, and he looks likely to miss the trips in the Middle East now with a knee injury. Also set to miss is Jimmy Jago, with Graham Arnold revealing he's picked up a metatarsal injury in his foot while playing for Aris in Greece. So a couple of omissions there for the Socceroos squad. In better news, Jackson Irvine and Martin Boyle will play in the Scottish Cup final this weekend for Hibernian. They're up against St Johnston, while Ange Postacoglu's Yokohama are putting pressure on Nagoya for second place in the J-League. And to finish, Michael, Gary Van Egmont will oversee an Oli Roos training camp in Spain with a European-based side to play four matches in 13 days next month. The side will include John Iredale, Riley McGree and Noah Bottich and will coincide with the senior side's World Cup qualifiers. And also Daniel Lasani. Yes, still struggling to get a game at Aarhus is, uh, is Arzani. So that's a, a line through Riley McGree for the senior side. You'd take that as well, Michael? Yeah, you would take that as well. Manchester City have won their fifth English Premier League title and third under Pep Guardiola after Man United dropped points at Leicester on Wednesday. City's seventh English League title uh, draws them level with Aston Villa in fifth place, now behind only Man United, Arsenal, Liverpool and Everton. Guardiola's third title draws him level in eighth with Stan Cullis, Bill Shankly, Arsene Wenger and Jose Mourinho. So Rob, not bad company to be in, but of course the big one still ahead for City. It uh, is an amazing run of success that City have had and uh, it, it is going to continue uh, with the squad that they've got, even uh, with uh, some of their talent leaving. Uh, there's talk of uh, of Brandt Erling Haaland uh, going to City and, uh, and a range of other big players. But uh, but they had a bit of a, um, a stumble before they got the title. Uh, Sergio Aguero, uh, who uh, is obviously famous for... Uh, scoring the goal that won them their first ever title, but you had to laugh that um, you know he was capable of the most embarrassing moment. Uh, he's facing off against uh, Chelsea keeper Edward Mendy. Uh, he's he's got an opportunity from the penalty spot to put uh, to put City up two nil and, and secure it, uh, and his place in history and to and to, ex- and to, to match a record of, of goals scored. He goes for uh, the Panenka. And uh, and Mendy just uh, just jumps up off the ground and just catches it if it's a, as if it's a training drill. It was funny. Um, I was just surprised though that Peter Drury, the commentator, um, oh here we go. He didn't have. The, he's not our favourite commentator. Uh, he wasn't able to do a Brenton Speed, uh, you know, who instantaneously came up with the Scorpion Kip line. Yeah, he he didn't mention the fact that it was an attempted Panenka at the time or at any time in the rest of the game. I thought that uh, after Antonin Panenka scored that famous uh, goal in the nineteen seventy six. Euros to win the uh, uh, the title for Czechoslovakia. That it was written in stone that every time somebody chipped, it had to be called a panenka. So is Peter Drury not reading the um, the, uh, the 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 he, same he must, have, he must have had it scripted, Rob. He, he wasn't. Well, I don't think Brett, um, Speedy had it scripted. He didn't know that Riley McGrew was going to score that scorpion. Kick. It was the worst panenka since Brenton Sandalab. I think, <laughs> in the uh, in the grand final a couple of years back. Uh, Atletico Madrid are within touching distance of their first La Liga crown since 2014 after scraping past Real Sociedad 2-1 midweek. They'll have the chance to wrap it up with a win against Osasuna on Monday, provided Real Madrid drop points against Granada on Friday morning. With two games to go, Barcelona are at risk of finishing third after dropping points to Levante, while Sevilla are bolted on to finish in the four and play Champions League. And at the bottom of the table, it's on for young and old to avoid the drop. Alaves, Getafe, Huesca... Valladolid, Elche and Ibar could all be headed south. I think we're all as neutrals cheering home Atletico Madrid uh, at the end of the La Liga season, are we not? Certainly I am. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. As as I am Lille in Ligue 1. I think my boy's Nantes in serious danger in uh, in League One over there. Staying on the Iberian Peninsula, Sporting Lisbon have capped off a 32-match unbeaten run with their 19th Premier League title. 
breaking a drought that stretched back to 2001-02. Sporting paid 10 million euros to sign manager Ruben Amorim in March last year, making him the third most expensive manager ever behind Andre Villas-Boas and Brendan Rodgers. Amorim, just 36, has stated he has no plans to go anywhere anytime soon and is likely to do so, Michael, because he's got a 20 million euro buyout clause on his head. Bit of a, a rising super manager, Ruben Amorim, just 36. 20 million euro transfer fee, is it, or...? A buyout clause, yeah, buyout for him to clause. go to another club. Wow. Moving over to Italy, Gianluigi Buffon has announced his, quote, beautiful and very long career with Juventus. We'll come to a close at the end of the season with the old lady at risk of missing the Champions League. Buffon joined Juventus at Parma in 2001 and has won 10 Serie A titles and four Italian Cups since, racking up a record 657 league appearances. The 43-year-old, winner of the 06 World Cup amongst his 176 caps, will consider playing on if the right situation motivates him. A beautiful career, Rob, but of course he did, remember, he lost his mind a couple of years ago playing for PSG when they uh, mm. they got bombed out and he said the script wasn't written like this for me but other than that pretty unblemished Buffon is one of those iconic characters in the world game isn't he he's got a couple of uh, uh, personal uh, views uh, off the, the, the park that um, that not everybody agrees with but uh, uh, insofar as uh, his heroic performances for uh, the Azzurri on the uh, on the field the 206 uh, World Cup is, um, is etched in stone in fact as we sit here in the uh, studio of Damien Tardio we are looking at um, a copy of The Age uh, uh, which he has framed on the wall uh, which uh, says champion 2006 Italy and we are staring at uh, Gigi Buffon and uh, Alessandro Del Piero and uh, and all of the Italian players uh, hugging but they shouldn't be uh, in the history books in that World Cup should they because it should be the, the Socceroos who, who won that World Cup because they cheated us out of it Continuing our uh, trip around Europe Ajax have paid tribute to their season ticket holders upon celebrating their 35th Eredivisie title with all 42,000 to receive a star containing part of the melt, melted down trophy. Each star weighs 3.45 grams with 0.06 to have come from the trophy itself. A replica will sit in the club's trophy cabinet. Ajax played 30 of their 34 matches in empty stadiums this season. General Director Edwin van der Sar has said it is proof the players really have done it for the fans. Guys, a classy gesture, but I can't help escaping the thought that they've only done this because they've won 35. You wouldn't do it if it was your second or your third. No, you wouldn't, but um, but it's, it's a nice idea. Staying with the Dutch, Virgil van Dijk has officially ruled himself out of this summer's European Championships, stating he's at peace with the decision. He'll spend the summer completing the final phase of his recovery from his knee reconstruction. Remember when he did that injury, Rob, and you and I searched high and low to see the words ACL or knee reconstruction, yes. but in the UK, they just call it a, a knee ligament injury. Mm. Jurgen Klopp has said it would have been a miracle for him to have been fit. It's a blow to uh, Frank de Boer's Netherlands side, although they should still surely progress from a group comprising Austria, North Macedonia and Ukraine. Uh, over to Japan, Andreas Iniesta is set to continue with J-League side Vissel Kobe for another two years with the extension announced on his 37th birthday. He joined the club in 2018 and has so far lifted the Emperor's Cup and helped them qualify for the Champions League for the first time. Rob, will be halfway to 40 by the time that deal concludes. Just like Gigi Buffon, Mr Perpetual Motion and I'm stealing he's, that he's nickname. still a decent player too, just quietly. I am. So And, and, uh, and fans of other Iniesta, games. Iniesta, that is. Of course he is. Mm. Um, uh, the Mr Perpetual Perpetual motion, by the way, was a rugby league nickname for a player called Ray Price from the 70s and 80s, Parramatta legend. But uh, Iniesta, I think, deservedly um, gets that uh, sobriquet as well. All right, well, well done, uh, Rob Tanner, the Foxes, after the break. Looking forward to talking to him on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, if there is one subject we like to talk about 
on this show and one guest we like to have on this show, uh, a man who helped put this program on the map back in 2015 when the Foxes uh, started that uh, famous run, that 5,000 to 1 run that Rob Tanner wrote a book about. It is that very man, Rob Tanner. And there's a big weekend coming up for the Foxes and they're in form and uh, looking like they're going to secure that uh, top four spot. How are you, Rob? I'm great, thank you. And and we were just chatting off air that um, you introduced us to Liam Toomey, who was our, our guest in the first hour. Uh, we didn't happen to ask him about this, but um, but you've won the coin toss uh, uh, to to get the ticket uh, for the FA Cup final because uh, with COVID and all the restrictions, there's only one available in the press the press box. That's right. I mean, it, we've had to work under these conditions all the way through um, the lockdown and the, and uh, playing behind closed doors. There's only one pass for athletic writers and we have um, two writers we have writers for every club so obviously there's two that want to go to every game but um, it's not always the case throughout the season you know, sometimes we only get one pass Leicester are one of the clubs that do provide two passes but um, for the FA as well for the semi-final and the final uh, have only um, given us one media and you think it's an omen Rob so um, uh, we, we hope it I is I do too. because we had to have a, a coin a, a coin toss to decide who went and <laughs> I won for the semi-final and I've won again for the final so get your money on Leicester <laughs> we will mate but look uh, if you were looking at the historical form guide you wouldn't because uh, Leicester are the team that holds the um, the dubious status of being the team that's appeared in the most FA Cup finals four of them the last in 68 uh, 69 season uh, and not won the title so you know tell us uh, after you know that all conquering season 2015-16 where Leicester won the title it's just quite amazing now that we're, we're talking about Leicester as uh, you know a team that, that that we expect to play in Europe and we expect to win silverware you wouldn't believe how far Leicester City have come as a club, um, this is the first FA Cup final they've, they're going to appear in for 52 years. Uh, the last time was 1969. The last time they were in a semi-final was 1982. So it's, it's been a, a massive. Uh, it's like the Holy Grail for, for for Leicester fans. I mean, the FA Cup has diminished uh, with the Premier League's advancement has taken over in recent years. I mean, it used to be such a massive occasion, the FA Cup final. It was an all-day occasion. You'd get up in the morning and every TV show would be dominated by the FA Cup. It was such a huge event. And for the pinnacle for many footballers in, in England was to lift the FA Cup. It wasn't to be champions of England. It was to lift the FA Cup. And Leicester City have never done it. Four finals and they've lost a lot. Um, so it's it's hugely important for them now. And, and even... I mean, for Chelsea, for all the big six clubs, the FA Cup, it, it some, and in some ways, they field weakened teams in it. They, you know, they don't take it until the very end. They don't really take it that seriously or, or show it the respect that it, it used to demand. But uh, it's different for Leicester. This is huge for Leicester. Um, if they could win it and, and complete the domestic set, it would be unbelievable. And it would be a, another, another chapter in their incredible rise in the uh, over the last few years, so um, it's a big day for them. Obviously, Leicester leading into this FA Cup final not in the best league form, but turned a corner against Manchester United, albeit a very changed and let's face it, knackered-looking Manchester United. Do you feel like this turnaround has come just at the right time, and do you think it's kind of sustainable now for them for the rest of the season vis-a-vis their European qualification hopes. Leicester City are running on empty. They've given so much all season. They've had um, so many injuries and they're still having injuries now. Johnny Evans is a huge loss to them, the, the, the centre-half that's uh, so experienced. He holds everything together. They're giving everything they can. And I think people don't 
understand or, or appreciate uh, the magnitude of, of the effort they've put in this season to stay in the top four all season. Uh, it's been the strangest of strange seasons. I mean, the home form of all the clubs is is absolutely ridiculous compared to the away form. It's completely reversed. Um, so for them to dig in like they did uh, the other night at Old Trafford, and I did get a pass for Old Trafford, um, <laughs> to see that, I mean, they really did fight uh, for it. They had to. I mean, Man United made 10 changes, but that's 10 fresh players. And, and they still had Matic. They still had Matter. They still had uh, Greenwood. They still had uh, lads. Their squad, their team that they put out, still cost a lot more than Leicester City's did to put together. It might not be uh, greater um, value um, in sell-on now because of the likes of uh, Fafana and Sunsu and how they've developed <clears throat> at Leicester. But make mo- no bones about it, you don't play for the Manchester United first team if you're a duffer. You, you know, you, you've got to be a player. So uh, it was still a, an achievement to go to Old Trafford and win there for the first time since 1998. And, and that has given them a little bit of belief. And I think Rodgers has got to be given massive amounts of, of credit for the way he's handled his players now. I mean, he's, he's ringing the last dregs of energy out of the players that are still standing and still can, can carry on for these last few games. It's it's like when you're, the batteries are going in your remote control and you get the batteries out and, and give them a rub and you think that's going to give you another couple of days to go. That's what he's doing on a daily basis now. He's giving his batteries a rub uh, just to get a little bit more energy out of them for these final few games. But I don't think he'll need to rub anything for the FA Cup final to get them up for that. They'll, they will be up for it. But Chelsea are the form team. It's very much been the form team for a while. In, uh, in the Premier League, they've uh, been going really, really well. Uh, they had a, f- a slip up, <laughs> so that will help Leicester's cause. And it certainly gives uh, West Ham uh, and Liverpool uh, a little bit more uh, of hope that they can, uh, they, that top four can still be caught. But um, so Leicester got to focus cup final first and then Chelsea away um, in the next league game. And it, they'd, I think just one more win out of the last two games and Tottenham coming at home as well on the final day of the season and they'll be in the Champions League and that'll be a fantastic achievement. Where do you think Brendan Rodgers is right now in terms of his Leicester journey? He, you know, inevitably he's now going to be linked with every kind of major job, particularly uh, particularly in the UK context, Tottenham, the latest kind of link. Do you think that, that Brendan is happy there? Do you think he'll want to go on the European adventure, particularly Champions League next season? Um, and does he still think that there's more to come from this Leicester journey for him? I think so right now, but um, you're, you're right that the job he's done at Leicester. I mean, they've been up there challenging with the big boys for two years running now under Brendan. He's done a fantastic job to build and develop this team. A lot of youngsters have really flourished under him. He will be linked with other jobs. I'm told he's not interested in the Tottenham job. Um, I think Arsenal have tried for him in the past. Whether that would change in the future, I, th- I think he's a he's a coach that values the challenge. Uh, I mean, that's the only reason he walked away from Celtic because at the time he was winning everything at Celtic. You know, it became so it wasn't a challenge anymore. You know, every domestic trophy was in their trophy cabinet, and um, he walked away of a f- from a famous treble treble to take up the challenge that he saw at Leicester City. The the chance f- to work with owners that will back him uh, at a club where um, they are well run. And they have got young talent. They've got a great recruitment system, and he loves to develop players, young and old. 
and uh, he's been able to do that so far. To get into the Champions League would be the next challenge, to, to, to mastermind a, a Champions League challenge. And uh, I think he, he will relish that. But I think the day will come, inevitably, when he doesn't see a challenge anymore, even where he might feel like he's taken Leicester as far as he can. Winning the FA Cup would be what a fantastic step in that journey. But I don't think it's any time soon, but I think it will come. But I think he will back himself to get a top, top job. I mean, I I know his aspiration would be, his dream job would be Barcelona. Um, whether, you know, an English coach is still considered um, sexy enough for a, a Barcelona job, I, I you know, time will tell. But I think he, he will back himself to get a top, top jo- uh, job, a, a club that is really, like Man United, a club that can challenge with Leicester City's win over Manchester United, Manchester City have won now the uh, the title, and it's their third title in four years. So I just want to get your immediate reflections on how good that uh, that club and that group is uh, in comparison to, to maybe some of the the big Man U teams that went back to back in the early stages of the Premier League. Where do, where do you rank this uh, this Mel, uh, Man- Manchester City team? I think there's more to come from this Manchester City team. And I think Champions League, winning the Champions League would be a defining moment for them. That's what they've been uh, aspiring to do. They've been one of the dominant clubs in England for a long time. And, and a bit like Leicester City, they've come from a long way back. Um, they've, when they had previous ownerships, <clears throat> they, were, they were bouncing between the two divisions. They weren't a, a major player in English football. Manchester City had great history, um, but not um, a massive player at the time. Where they've come from is incredible. Um, they've made some great decisions. They spent a lot of money, uh, but um, I think the key was um, was getting uh, Pep in, uh, top top coach, arguably the best in the world. Um, and he's really even when they've had a setback, you know they've they've bounced back again this season. When Liverpool won the title last year, they learned from that and come back this season. He, he can identify their weaknesses. Their weaknesses sometimes are defensively. I mean, at the start of the season when Leicester won there and, and won five two. You know, it was pretty clear what their problems were at the time, but they've addressed them. John Stones has come back. They've recruited well. And uh, they look like now a side that can dominate Europe as well as the Premier League. And that will set the bar even higher for the other clubs in the in the Premier League. I think there's no uh, secret why it's the English clubs that are dominating in Europe now. It's because Man City, Man City have set the bar high. Everybody else in the Premier League is now trying to... to, to rein them in and Liverpool have certainly done that in recent years and uh, I think the others are now trying to do the same and uh, that's why they're head and shoulders of, above the, the rest of the European clubs. Less than 40 days away before the Euros, uh, the inevitable attention will turn to uh, the three Lions and uh, whether Gareth Southgate can uh, go one better and make the final from uh, uh, Russia and maybe even win it um, all the big games at the back end of the tournament at Wembley. And we're, we're going to see a big crowd, relatively big crowd uh, post-COVID at Wembley this weekend for the FA Cup. Um, and there'll be bigger crowds uh, during the Euros. So just uh, what are your expectations? What's your sense on the ground? Um, every time England goes into one of these big tournament says always can we do it you know can we bring it home and uh, are we going to win but you know this time uh, th- there is a genuine sense that um, that England could win um, after the uh, you know the effects the events of uh, the World Cup and uh, the fact that it's going to be the finals played, in, played at Wembley. One thing you can guarantee is whenever England goes into a major tournament there is always an expectation <laughs> that they are going to go all the way I mean the pressure must be huge before every tournament. Uh, my big concern is the 
congested season this year. What that's taken out of so many key players. Uh, I mean, Harry Maguire's now struggling. He's got an injury. Um, we think he's going to be OK for the Euros, but you know he could miss the Europa League final. They're all limping over the line. Uh, of this season because you you think you know after project restart last season the very short summer they had the break between the two seasons they were straight back in for pre-season it's been a, a dramatically congested i mean man united are playing four games in eight days that i mean that's just ridiculous that mm. can never happen again uh, you know he's putting too much of a, a of a strain on players because we expect them to perform at the top top level every time they step on the grass and they can't do that with that level of of um, of recovery time it's it's just not possible so that's my big concern going into the tournament how fresh how ready how prepared will um a lot of the the english players um be but you know they 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 should take confidence from their club form they should take confidence from their performance in the in the world cup Gareth Southgate certainly knows, seems to know how to get the best out of some of them as well. So, you know, I think confidence will be there that they can go and do uh, and perform. But, um, well, we'll just have to wait and see. This is such a strange football season mm-hmm. in every way. Um, you, can't, you, you know, you, you could get a rank outside and win the, the Euros. It's just um, just very unpredictable. But it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to it, Rob. Oh, yeah, it always is. Yeah, always absolutely. Is. Well, mate, you enjoy uh, heading off to Wembley this weekend with a crowd. Um, we'll be all behind uh, the Foxes and, and hope that you get the result. Uh, the only thing we're going to ask you is that you, you post a photo uh, um, on on our uh, um, on your socials and tag us in so, uh, so we can get behind you, mate. But uh, we'll be all getting up okay. early in the morning and, and watching it, my friend. Oh, great. Fantastic. You're going to have an FA Cup barbecue, are you, first uh, thing in the morning? Yeah, at about 2 a.m., mate. It used to be a better time. <laughs> Since they pushed the, the, the kickoff a, a little later, it's, it's made it a little bit more difficult. But uh, but we're hearty yeah, souls down here. Gone. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get The tradition's early. gone. It used to be three o'clock on a Saturday yeah. and uh, it's all been moved. I mean, it used to be the last game of the season as well. Yeah. It no longer is. Um, so that's what I mean when I say, you know, a lot of the tradition and yeah. has, has gone. Well, it used to felt for us. It, it we'll was, still be there. It, 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 like on a Saturday night, the kickoff time was perfect. And someone sounds like there's yeah. What's his name? That little hound dog we have? That's Max. Hello, Max. That's Max. That's, yeah. the, that's the problem working from home. Hey, but we're all used to that. We've seen some very <laughs> strange uh, backgrounds on Zoom meetings in the past 18 months or so. I promise you that. Hello, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <like> Max. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Max, is it a fox or a dog? <laughs> you know, he's not a fox. He likes to chase foxes, but he's not one, no. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, thanks a lot, Rob. Uh, enjoy this weekend, mate. See you, Rob Tanner. No problem. We'll talk to you again soon. Rob Tanner from The Athletic. All right, stick around. Uh, we're going to talk more Europe after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport or whatever podcast catcher you're tuning into us on around the world. That's a great chat with Rob Tanner. We just had our good mate from the Leicester Foxes. Lots more to talk about in Europe. But before we do, Chemist Warehouse, get down there because it's May and the Mayhem Mega Sale is on. You get half price on so many brands. L'Oreal, Maybelline, Nude by Nature, Rimmel, Revlon, Sally Hansen, OPI. Get your cosmetics at Chemist Warehouse. Half price on big brand vitamins. Swiss, Go Healthy, Nature's Own, Blackmores, Thompson's, Inner Health. I like that edge. That was alive, by the way. Biogland, Ethical Nutrients, Nature's Way, Caruso's, Life Space, Neutralife, Henry Bloom's, Wagner, and Naturopathica. you just got to get to Chemist Warehouse for all the great deals. It's mayhem. And also $14.99 for your flu. Don't forget that. Very important. 
Chemist Warehouse, where the lowest prices are every single day. Gentlemen, Derek, you there? Welcome back. How are you? I am, Chance. I'm back. Yeah, we didn't ask you earlier um, when we were talking to Liam or Rob, but uh, now that we've got a little bit more breathing space, um, how are you breathing, by the way? Because we we really didn't declare exactly what you had, but, um, but you weren't very well. You must be the only person in the world that has pneumonia not from COVID. Yeah, I had something pretty bad, guys, and yeah, something that not even Chemist Warehouse could really help me out with. Um, it was, but you're uh, alive and you're back and you're with us. Yes, I'm back and alive and been following the football and the show very, very closely. But yeah, back to be in the hot, back in the European hot seat. Dennis taking a break. He hasn't come down from. But but are they guaranteed? I've been reading some articles that um, that there might be some financial fair play issues for Derby. I think Dino's is probably lying down in a, in a dark room somewhere because <laughs> of the stress of the Derby three Sheffield Wednesday three with uh, the goal with ten minutes to go. Uh, sealing Derby's uh, survival, but yes, and of course, the Rotherham absolutely. Cardiff match pa- pa- parallel, and uh, you know, and and that wouldn't have been enough for them if if Rotherham had have had that kept that result, um, they would have been the, the the team that stayed. It was close, but as you said, Derby have had a really bad week, and and yeah, they're they're now under the financial microscope. But with all of these things, as you know, gents, you just don't know if that's actually going to go through, and if it does, when when will it count for? Will they? retrospectively do it on this season will it be a bit like Sheffield Wednesday who obviously went down but they started the uh, the season on on minus points and, and, that, and that cost them in the end so a lot to think about for Dino Wayne Rooney if he's still there and Derby but um, obviously that means now that we're going into the playoffs of the championship we know already that that, that Watford are up of course and Norwich are the champions and we've got the uh, Bournemouth versus Brentford and, and guys if Bournemouth actually win these playoffs um it will be the first time that all three relegated teams will go straight back into the premier league and that would be an interesting stat nonetheless but brentford are a tough team and and they were pretty close last season too but the other one where you've got interest edge is barnsley swansea city and barnsley the the least celebrated of this uh, quad in the playoffs tell us more about them those people that watch the movie Moneyball will know about Billy Bean well Billy Bean actually invested in Barnsley in 2017 and subsequently Barnsley deployed his Moneyball philosophy so there's no financial fair play investigation at Barnsley because they have uh, a budget in the bottom eight of the championship yet they're, in, they're playing in the playoffs uh, they actually um, have recruiting analysts uh, they have who watch up to six games each day online tracking players that they've identified through their own analytics platform and they've also got a ruthless commitment to young players and rarely sign anyone over the age of 23 years of age. So they have a multi-club business model um, uh, with teams relentlessly pursuing uh, the full press same play sort of attacking philosophy uh, that allows them to swap plays between their multi, uh, multi-club multi ownership model and uh, it's just an interesting um, little experiment that is uh, you'd have to say paying off at the moment and and they're one to watch in the playoffs because should they get promoted to the Premier League, it will be a back off a, a very unique and uh, and not celebrated but uh, significant uh, philosophy that they're deploying at the club, Derek. And there is always a dark horse in these playoffs, someone that kind of comes in under the radar and quite often they're the, they're the trickiest club to to play. So good luck, Barnsley. Uh, I remember the last time they were in 
the Premier League. Um, they they came to Highbury. Arsenal won five nil that day, but their fans just sang and sang and sang, and they were singing. It's just like watching Brazil. That was their uh, <laughs> that was their line. They were just very happy to be there. We've made, we've spoken about the FA Cup final with both of our guests, gents. So let's not dwell on it for too long. But just let's maybe go to both you, Rob, starting with you, Leicester or Chelsea. Uh, Leicester. I was going to say Chelsea. Now, I, I think um, the Thomas Tuchel might have played uh, with fire, and and I think that there's also in the back of their minds uh, at Chelsea uh, the the, uh, the the looming Champions League final that, that these players uh, uh, don't want to get injured for that. So I, I just think Leicester have got nothing to lose. Um, they come back to form just at the right time, and uh, I just get a sense that um, that we might be seeing uh, after uh, years of not seeing an underdog win. The underdog win. They won't be five thousand to one this time, but uh, geez, it'll be a celebrated victory if they get it. I just think um, Leicester has not been uh, dealt any um, goodwill cards by Arsenal. Arsenal's victory over Chelsea will, um, I think, uh, jolt them into action, and uh, they'll take advantage of the opportunity and get the job done. I think Chelsea, pound for pound, are a better team than Leicester. Derek? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Chelsea. I'd love to see Leicester win it. I think they've got the players to do it, but I just think it's a bridge too far, and that Chelsea team is is a well-oiled machine right now, so I'm going to go for Chelsea. Um, going over onto the Premier League, um, City are champions. It was, it was a case of uh, when, not if, this week, and credit to United for keeping it going for a little while longer yet causing Pep to, to sweat a little but that fixture congestion that Rob Tanner talked about I mean it was you know as you know an utter disgrace really and, and it was too much for United but congratulations to City it's been a fabulous season and Rob um, Pep's regenerated this team you know brought in some new players changed his philosophy it's not something he normally does he normally leaves so is there anything there for Jurgen Klopp to take a look at? Yeah I, I think Jurgen Klopp's uh, got to go down the path of, of Guardiola and, and accept that uh, you know there, there's a time for for some of these storied players who've, who've won the, the, the silverware and being so critical to the club to, to move on you just look at the Vincent Company situation where you know they probably did go back a, a step or two and it, it may well have cost them a, a, a major element, and it did cost them a major element of their dis- defensive structure, which allowed Liverpool to win the title um, last season. But uh, uh, you've got to go backwards to go forward, and uh, and I think that Klopp, it's pretty important that he uh, he watches that that model. But I, I think he will. He's a, he's a pragmatic uh, as well as a passionate uh, manager, so I'd expect him to be capable of making those decisions. The relegation was uh, signed off this week. Um, West Brom went down, losing to Arsenal. Uh, and Fulham's um, little recovery petered out. Um, do you see any hope for Fulham and West Brom yo-yoing back just like uh, Norwich and, and Bournemouth have done? Yeah, I do, um, because I just think the parachute payments in this environment give um, the clubs that get relegated an unfair advantage because in the Championship, there's, uh, with the COVID uh, sort of era of the Championship, there's some clubs doing it particularly tough, and I think the parachute payments do skew the resources available to the, the clubs that come down from the Premier League. Um, yeah, for that one. I, I, but but Big Sam Allardyce, he, he, I, I thought he might have just resigned with a week to go just to protect his <laughs> protect his reputation of I never being Do you think relegated. that would have protected his reputation? I think it would have sent it down the, the uh, well, S-band he, the way that that uh, honeypot uh, should scenario Should he have thought twice uh, about... Because uh, he could have dined out on that, uh, that he was the, you know, the ultimate... Uh, you know, it would have coach. been the ultimate sellout if he did. No, I don't think. I think it's an outrageous suggestion that you make. Big Sam, will he will he 
go on as West Brom coach, Derek? You'd think not, wouldn't you? I, I think it's a good project for him now, honestly, Edge. I mean, he's going to bring that club down, as you said, with the parachute payments, the ability to, to you know, get a promotion under his belt. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's clear either way. I think Big Sam is always a short-term solution. So I'd be interested to see whether West Brom think that he, Sam, is the man to take them back up. But they'll certainly be amongst the favourites next season to come back. Um, wrapping things up in the Premier League, Leicester, as we've mentioned earlier, they're third. Chelsea are fourth at the moment. West Ham do have a game in hand after the loss to Arsenal. But you just think that probably Leicester and Chelsea with two games to go have got too, uh, you know, too many points on the board. Liverpool, on the other hand, do have that game in hand over West Ham and should leapfrog at least into the Europa League stakes. But again, coming coming from the back, Rob, they can get up to... Oh, well, a point off Chelsea at 63. Is it still on for the Champions League? Yeah, I guess it all just depends. And, uh, you know, to, in the, the spirit of full disclosure, as we record the programme on a Thursday evening, the big match tomorrow morning uh, as we speak is uh, Liverpool v Manchester City, the, the mm. one that uh, was abandoned because of the uh, the Glazer protest at Old Trafford. So if, if Liverpool can get that result, I still back them in. And, uh, uh, you know, Chelsea have got that you know, fixture uh, congestion that they've got to you know, confront. So I, I just still give them, uh, a, 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 you know, a punch chance if, if they can get that result over United. We know that Inter Milan are champions in Serie A, but Juventus, uh, as mentioned um, in, in the news and Buffon in the news, that um, you know they're, that they're not mathematically going into the Champions League at the moment. What a disaster that would be for them with that wage bill. Uh, but the Pirlo experiment certainly hasn't seemed to work, and I'll be surprised if he's there next season. Sporting Lisbon became the Portuguese champions for the first time since 2002, ending uh, Benfica and Porto stranglehold on that tournament. So well done, Sporting. The um, Spanish league is no closer to being decided, although Atletico did take a big step towards it this morning with a gritty win over Real Sociedad. Barcelona and Real Madrid hot on their heels, but they're still in the driving seat. And France as well, guys. Uh, Lille still top. It's a real beautiful story for them, and they're holding off Paris Saint-Germain, who, who have just not been at the races this season under Pochettino. Neymar may have signed a new contract till 2025, but it looks like Lille are going to uh, take out Ligue 1. And um, Rob, you know that I always try and bring you the biggest and most important European stories in this segment. Well, I do have some critical news for you to finish. Um, FC Cologne are mourning the death of their mascot. It's a goat called Hennes VIII who died uh, after two years of poor health. Hennes VIII is the eighth in line in this GOAT tradition, has now been replaced by Hennes Ninth, and hopefully he'll bring some better luck. Um, before you ask, I don't know how many wives Hennes VIII had. <laughs> oh, God, he's been working on that one all day. Uh, well, if, uh, if he goes down the path of... Uh, uh, his uh, erstwhile uh, namesake, uh, the great Henry, who ha of course had six and lopped the head off a couple of them, uh, then um, he's uh, already uh, um, going to go down in history for the worst of all reasons. I wonder if they uh, they barbecued him at the end because uh, goat does taste good on the barbecue. Charcoaldly, uh, the Germans do like to, uh, to to get a big feed going. So uh, I, uh, I wonder, maybe a bit chewy. Yeah, a bit longer than tooth, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Derek. Well, hey, well done. Nice wrap of Europe. Stick around. Stoppage time next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most...
Yes, this is Box to Box. It's been a busy show this week. Uh, the fourth official's given us seven minutes to wrap it up. Uh, Edge's secret topics uh, have been revealed in the break. And um, Derek, uh, where are you going to sort of steer him? Um, given you know he's given us probably enough topics to go for seventy-seven minutes, and we've only got seven. Yeah, well, I thought we'd start just with a bit more on Dino. I know that when we we miss the. Uh, the show that it is a free hit in terms of sticking the boots in. So, Edge, what are your thoughts on on Dino and Derby County? Well, we know that Dean's old man, uh, Terry, um, was the first player in England in the professional era to transfer for over £100,000 when he went uh, just a, a few kilometres down the road from Nottingham Forest to Derby County. And uh, for those, obviously, Dean's told us many times, for those people that are interested, that was like, they are the, the, the hot town local rivals. And it was like, uh, it was like um, Satan sort of rising out of the, <laughs> ra- rising out of the, the, the ground and uh, grabbing uh, the best player out of Nottingham Forest and taking him to Derby. But the question I've got for Derek and Rob is that is Dean Hennessy the only Derby County supporter in Australia? <laughs> I just don't... I don't know anybody else who supports Derby County. Derek, do you know anybody in Australia other than Dean who's a Derby fan? No, I've, I literally haven't encountered a single person uh, that supports Derby County. It's a, As you know, it's a very much a, a regional club. They've not, um, yeah, they did have some Premier League and, and, and a bit of appeal back in the day. But yeah, there's probably not too not too many. But I do, I have been typing very quickly and there is a Derby County Fan Cut Club Australia. It's exactly uh, what I did as well. 126 people <laughs> follow this. Where um, are they? Where are last... they? Dino, Dino is five of them. <laughs> And, and there's a, and there's a uh, a website called Poms in Oz, um, an Australian migration form. <laughs> this post goes back to 2015. If you're a Derby County fan in Melbourne and fancy sharing news, then please like the page. And um, it was only created that day, and Posted it hasn't been updated Dean since then. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, my, my great uh, story about Derby County. The first time I went there we were with Dino, because obviously he's he's like royalty there. It was when Lionel Pickering was the owner of the club and Lionel Pickering um, actually uh, was employed by the age uh, he was when he was a junior sort of cadet and in his part-time drove a tram in Melbourne number 67 which is the tram that goes from Carnegie into Flinders Street so I met Lionel Pickering that day and he said oh where are you from and I was like I'm from Melbourne oh did you know that when I was a cadet you know I was drove the number 67 tram and he went the owner of Derby County actually recited all of the stops on the number 67 tram in Melbourne. That was how much uh, Melbourne sort of stuck in his mind. But he he took the idea of community newspapers from Australia back to England and, and sold it for £60 million to Rupert Murdoch and then spent all the money on Derby County. And yeah. you'd ask the question, why would he do that, Derek? Well, uh, you know, Derby are one of the kind of traditional powerhouses of of football. So there is a bit of luster. They've got a pretty decent ground and look they they uh, have qualified you know they're back they're still in the championship it's still in the the gateway to the premier league and look i think it's very difficult to buy a premier league club these days edge you know this the most of them are or most big ones are taken obviously by oligarchs or americans or or um you know middle eastern countries but uh, yeah i think a derby county if you're looking around um certainly no worse about than buying wrexham <laughs> well, Lionel Pickering is no longer the owner of Derby County, but it, uh, at one stage the owner of Derby County did drive the number 67 tram in Melbourne, which is a bit of a trivia question. But it is. And if, hang on, by the way, if Luke Bozzetto, who is the um, 
the head of the Australian branch of the Derby County Supporters Club is listening. What's to get on? Yeah, in, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, let us know. And and you can have a free well, whack back at Edge because, uh, you know, anyone who insults a, a, you know, a, club, a story club like the Rams um, deserves to be um, smacked back by somebody who's as passionate about it as Luke obviously is. What else you got for us um, there, Derek? I have uh, a clock counting down here and Edge has got a couple of stories that he wanted to go over. What about going from the Rams to Roma? Uh, obviously, we know Jose Mourinho has arrived in town, and you know predict- predictable outcomes will follow. But what about what about the new Roma owner? There's a little bit of Hollywood, Hollywood gra- glamour there, Edge. There is, and uh, obviously Roma is uh, one of the one of the real storied clubs of uh, Italy's Serie A. And US businessman Dan Friedkin purchased Roma in August, but he didn't really take control until February. Uh, by the time all the the, the legal contracts and uh, money was settled. He's got a net worth of 4.2 billion US dollars, primarily via his second-generation Toyota distribution business. He owns over 150 US Toyota dealerships. He's also been involved in the uh, the movie game and uh, directed a few movies. So he's a bit of a unique guy. He, he very quickly recruited Tiago Pinto from Benfica to run the club, who then very quickly secured Jose Mourinho less than three weeks after Tottenham gave him the flick. So um, are they building something? They've got one of arguably one of the most exciting young players in Europe, uh, Nicolo Zanillo. Um, they've retained Lorenzo Pellegrini, Gian. Gianluca Mancini, uh, Cambala and Villar, they're all very um, sort of young players with significant opportunities. Is Roma, is Roma going to be one of the emerging lights in Europe, Derek? Could, could the American Toyota man bring success to Roma? Now, as Edge is on furiously trying to wind him up, he's extending his question as long as possible. You've made your point. Derek, what's your response? Rome is a very complicated club, and Rome is a very complicated city, and it's a it's a pressure cooker. So you don't you don't buy Roma unless you you don't expect the pressure from the fans and certainly from the press. I know the press in the press box at Roma. You know the journalists wear their scarves, club scarves, <laughs> into the ground. There's no there's no neutrality when it comes to sports reporting in uh, in Roma. So look, it's a club as you said with great prestige, a large stadium, and they've got the platform to do it. Certainly the fall of Juventus means that there are opportunities now in Serie A, to, you know, but there's also another, it's a very competitive league. So, you know, be careful, you know, what you wish for with a club like that. But, uh, you know, it will be an exciting story either way, Edge. Have I got time for one more? No, you don't, Michael. I'm sorry. Oh, we can do it left the last one. It was the best one too. Oh, no. Well, what was it? I mean, we don't have time for it, but just... just Lewandowski, 39 oh, goals. Okay. Well, there's plenty. We can talk about Robert Lewandowski next week. We can. Yeah, there's he's plenty he's of just on the verge of a very yeah. big milestone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's next week. Okay. Um, Michael, um, good show this week. Enjoyed that. Yeah, so did I. Without Dino. He'll kill me after all that money. Dino, we love you, mate. You're going to be back next we week. We do love you, Dino. Well, I'm be sitting there. Thank you, everybody. Derek. I look forward to next week. <laughs> Thank you, Derek. And uh, Damien Tardio uh, in the shadows of his uh, Italy Champions of the World 2006 post. Thank you. And to you, our dear listeners, thank you again for joining us on Box to Box. We hope you come back again next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game. Very good, boys. Well done, lads. <laughs>